0: Y'all can talk about all these viruses, and that's good, but you can't forget the main one. It's plaguing us, bro. Down with the colonial virus. Down with the colonial virus.
1: Uhuru! Welcome to the People's War Radio Show. I'm Dr. Matsumela Odom. And I'm Mwambi Tangu. Uhuru. Uhuru means freedom in Swahili, and freedom is on our minds 24-7.
2: One year ago, it happened. Much of the world went into shutdown in an effort to battle the COVID-19 pandemic that had spread to the United States, with early outbreaks in Washington State and the New York metropolitan area. Originally, people were told the shutdown would last a couple weeks, and now we have surpassed a year. In observation with this landmark, we also observe the revolutionary role that African women have played in the
1: historical struggle for African liberation. The People's War radio show nears its 52nd week of production. The name of this show is taken from the COVID-19 campaign led by the All African People's Development and Empowerment Project. Over the last year, the dynamic leadership of African women in the All-African People's Development and Empowerment Project and Project Black Ink has been instrumental in this anti-colonial struggle. Today, we have two leaders of the All-African People's Development and Empowerment Project, Kundai Bajiki Kai and Michelle Odom, to discuss the advances they made over the last year. Kundai Bajiki Kayi is a volunteer coordinator for the All-African People Development and Empowerment Project. She also serves as the manager for Zenzeli Consignment in Huntsville, Alabama. Zenzeli Consignment is the economic development program for the All African People Development and Empowerment Project.
2: We're also joined by Michelle Odom. Michelle is the mental health programs coordinator for the All African People's Development and Empowerment Project and also produces the monthly Ask the Doctor webinar, which addresses the topics facing the African nation on health and well-being professionally Michelle is a professional counselor and educator also i'm proud to say that Michelle is my partner and the mother of two amazing daughters it's great to have you on the show comrade
3: oh uh-huh. good morning and uh, thank you for having me everyone
2: so kundai and michelle welcome to the show
4: oh uh-huh. uh-huh. thank's for having us on comrades
2: uh-huh. yeah happy to be here kundai it's been a year since the establishment of the People's War Campaign. You are based in Huntsville, Alabama. How has the pandemic impacted the community there?
4: First, I, I would like to salute our leadership, um, Chairman Omali Eshitella, um, for calling on um, the, uh, the, the People's War Campaign um, once we recognize the threat that COVID would have on the Black community. And my direct leadership, Dr. Aisha Fields, um, because if it wasn't those two um or for their their leadership, I may not have viewed COVID in the um in the way that, you know, has been called on for Apdept to um to recognize it to be a threat and to um yeah, and to move like it's real. So I really wanna appreciate them. And um here in Huntsville, Alabama specifically, um, you know, it's had impacts, um huge impacts on the black community, like many black communities here in the US. Um, there's been, you know, Several customers that have come through our our economic institution that have passed away. Many people have lost loved ones that have passed away um, due to COVID-19. And here in Huntsville, I would say maybe the largest impact um, that I've noticed personally in the the Black community is the um, economic impact. Um, And then um, especially the question around food, um, having the ability to feed yourselves um, and so I think um, in a lot of ways, COVID nineteen impacted the community here in the same way as any other colonial attack. If I'm uh, just honest, um, it's the same way that we see the police come in and and occupy the community, like military troops. Um, it's the same way that we've seen, you know, just uh, a year before COVID, another murder of an African by uh, the police here in Huntsville, um, and that the community recognizes it. But it has so many other threats that, you know, it's, it's hard to recognize what's prioritized and how to um, how to maneuver through this type of pandemic um, or through another colonial attack. There's been many businesses that have had to shut down as well in terms of the economic impact here in Huntsville. And Matsumela, if, if I may, I think, too, actually, there's been a, a, a lot more startups of, um, I think, uh, different type of black businesses here in Huntsville, um, even if it's not a brick and mortar. And um, black people becoming a lot more health conscious and particularly, especially the middle class. But especially I, th- I think some of the, the the working class have even, you know, um, yeah, just paid a little bit more attention to health. And even if it's just taking vitamin C every day or something like that, um, I think it's something that, um, yeah, that I've been able to notice since COVID. Just the community being a little bit more conscious of um, what we put into our bodies.
2: Yeah, Uhuru. And 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 I know we're eventually gonna ask you some more about that, but my I I, I, I will I will guess that All African People's Development and Empowerment Project and the Community Gardens and so many other projects that you all lead in Huntsville uh plays a plays a role in
1: that, correct? Uhuru. Uhuru. Yeah. Um Kundai, you had mentioned how uh Chairman O'Malley, um Dr. Aisha Fields and this this whole process that we've been through made you take it serious. And I remember when it first hit, actually I thought it was comical. I remember I was posting pictures of like me in a hazmat suit and kind of like making jokes about it. And I remember specifically, you know, you were the one who was like, hey, comrade, this is very serious. This isn't something to joke about. And like immediately after that, you know, I started taking it serious. And um, you know, and you know, and you know, all throughout the African communities, you know, a lot of us started really, really getting out in the streets and uh, putting out the protocols that were um, laid out. So I just wanted to bring that, you know, to this discussion and (laughs) and thank you for that.
0: Mm -hmm.
4: Yeah, I was, um, at first, without any evidence, I was like, oh, this is a white people disease, like, black people not being affected by this. Like no black person has died and you know, I was just following what I was seeing on social media and that's not scientific or um, you know, what we practice as African internationalists. And um so my biggest concern was white people gonna take everything on the shelves that's you know, that's at the stores and, and when they have a lockdown, we ain't gonna have no toilet paper and, you know, whatever else and not necessarily getting sick from the virus, but um just seeing how you know how quickly it was spreading um and you know and then hearing about black people that have been uh infected by the virus was um yeah it was uh but again if it wasn't for the movement i wouldn't have i wouldn't have looked into it that deep
1: right right so michelle you live in san diego but you also spend time with your family in the african community in calgary alberta canada what is some of the impact of COVID nineteen on the African communities as well as the Indigenous communities in Canada, where you were raised at?
3: Uhuru, uhuru. Um, well, I appreciate that question um, right now, especially because um, I'm actually here right now in uh, Calgary. You know, colonial colo, the, goes by the colonial name of Calgary, but known as a Treaty Seven properties or territories. And again, I just want to echo uh, just the conversation that's already taking place around the theory. And um, because, you know, in terms of like deaths, you know, COVID-19 deaths, like, you know, many of the largest outbreaks have been in the community where I grew up, which is um, east of um, of, of Deerfoot Trail, as many people would know, which is um, like northeast, you know, southeast Calgary. Um, And this is where, you know, primarily all, you know, migrant families are here, you know, low, uh, poor, working class families are in this area, and um, nearly half of the COVID-19 cases have been in that area. And one of the things that I think has definitely happened, particularly since the murder of George Floyd, is that folks began to see, you know, this is Black and Indigenous, but I would say even particular Black or African people here in this area began to really understand that this is not just about the coronavirus, right? This is this is the colonial virus. And although folks don't say that, folks are you know protesting around you know police repression, around um, economic issues, you know small businesses, you know who are you know um, you know education, kids being forced to go back to school, and even looking at incarceration rates, you know um, you know especially among youth, they're extremely high, and wage and employment gaps. You know black women make. Something like thirteen thousand dollars less than um, than their counterparts in black men. Um, it's nearly twenty thousand dollars less, and I think these are just some things that um, are coming to the forefront that folks can't deny that this is not just um, a disease. This is a this is a colonial disease, and um, so I'm really appreciative of the theory because I think um, every time I you know I've, I've been I left home at eighteen and spent the other 18 years in San Diego. And I, um, every time I come back, I come back with a little bit more clear of an understanding just from my studies and things like that. But the theory of African internationalism has really messed me up <laughs> in some ways because I can't see it any other way now. And so I find myself um, constantly in, you know, mental battles with folks, but really just trying to, you know, cause it's not even about, um, And who is it? Malcolm X talked about, um, this is like love speech, you know, and it's, it's not about trying to be, you know, political, this political, that it's really about trying to get, um, my family, you know, I have most of my family is up here, um, to really help folks to understand what's happening to us and what's been happening to us. And, um, so I think that's just something that's coming to mind as I'm reflecting on that question. Um, yeah. And, and in terms of, um, I might have mentioned, but our, our indigenous um, brothers and sisters out here are really struggling. I mean, if you look at, um, I mean, one, where folks are placed on these reservations you know, or concentration camps, but even just, uh, again, the continued lack of resources. So African people and indigenous people everywhere in the world are suffering, um, no matter where they are, um, no matter of class and all the other things that we can tell ourselves when we live up here, um, that Africans are doing better. Um, it's still the same. Uh-huh.
2: Yeah, who, uh-huh, Michelle, because, you know, some of the things that I think about is every time I hear that the family has known somebody who passed away from COVID up there in Calgary, it's an indigenous person. I think the very first person right. who, mm-hmm. who passed away was your mom's friend. who yeah was like a minister or something and was Mm -hmm, water uh, chief. uh, Mm -hmm. Right. 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 Always Mm -hmm. serving the community and, and through her service to the community, she got infected and and, and she died. But, but then, like you said, going even deeper outside of that, just the the constant harassment uh, amongst African youth and indigenous youth by Calgary police. But that, but that stands in opposition to to the quote unquote liberal narrative of Canada uh, you know, in the ways in which people always say that basically it's like, it's not the U S and because it's not the U S people act like, you know, but these contradictions don't exist. But I do see that, like you said, um, Mm -hmm. as a part of the global uprising, I think, you know, Calgary had one of the largest protests uh, against the murder of George Floyd in North America, I mean, something like 10, 15,000 people showed up at this protest, yeah. or something like mm-hmm. that, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, 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 so we do see that we do see like uh, you know outreach that you've been doing and stuff like that, and uh, uh, but uh, and and also the community pull African Indigenous community and also the South Asian communities pulling together uh, to to combat yes. the, the the coronavirus up there. So, Kundai, some important work that your group has done is to build Project Black on to combat the Ebola in Sierra Leone, then disaster relief in Houston during Hurricane Harvey. In 2020, it was reactivated to deal with the coronavirus. Why do you think it was necessary to build an independent African program such as Project Black on?
4: Really simply to put it is that because the same people that created Ebola, the same people that um, uh, didn't create a plan or the infrastructure for Black people um, to not be vulnerable to Hurricane Harvey um, uh, shouldn't be the same person that we're relying on to um, to save us from these imperialist imposed disasters or diseases. Um, so we yeah, we can't keep depending on uh, the slave master to care about the conditions of the slave. The white world has the Red Cross. Um, <laughs> Dr. Aisha always says, we're not just picking on the Red Cross. But <laughs> but they um, they collect millions and millions and millions of dollars in the name of, you know, these poor Africans or Haitians or African-Americans, however they, you know, try to classify us or whatever, or, you know, West Africans or whatever. And then just give us a little penny, you know, a little small little fraction of, you know, all the money that they've earned. And these these type of quote unquote nonprofits benefit from there being an exploited sector of the population because without an exploited sector, they don't exist. They can't be the um, some of the richest people in the world, some of their CEOs, not just in the U.S. or not just in, you know, where, but in the world. These are some of the richest people in the world. And um, I think it was a couple years back, which I'm not sure how far off the numbers are now feel something like only legally, only 11% of their earnings had to go to um, the cause in which they said they were raising the money for, you know? And so we, I mean, why, why would you even be in it if, if only 11% is going to the cause? You know, we can't keep depending on these, you know, these exploiters, these looters to continue to be the ones that are gonna, um, yeah, to um, save us from these natural disasters um, and equip us with the ability to not be so vulnerable. Because
1: if we're not
2: vulnerable, they don't benefit. Uh-huh. Now, ABDEP, the All African Peoples Development and Empowerment Project, and Project Black Onk, and I do want to mention that too, because you know sometimes Michelle will even be like, you know, Matamela, you so smart, but you don't get it sometimes because I, I, I'll be late to things because I'll be like, <laughs> I'll be like, mm, Project Black Onk, I wonder why they chose that name. We. We don't do the unk thing. We we we're not like that as African internationalists. I'll just focus in on one thing. I'm I just don't get it. I'm just like I don't get it. Black <laughs> unk? An unk Why is it an unk? Huh? Uh, oh, Red Cross. Uh, I need help, y'all, because because I don't <laughs> be getting it sometimes, and I be real late to it. And we Michelle and my mom.
4: We the with the Afri- the white world got the Red Cross, and <laughs> the African nation got the Black, Aunt, Black you know?
2: Uh Project Black Ark did amazing work, actually, in Sierra Leone uh, combating uh, Ebola, as well as uh, the nursing school and all sorts of things like that. Uh, just briefly, how do you think that that prepared abdept to deal with COVID? I mean, without a doubt, you know uh, that well, there's been immense impact. About pro- of Project Black Hunt throughout the African world?
4: Yeah, I think um, the experience that Director Aisha has had over the years in leading APDEP, even if it was through the, um, the maternal health care clinics, you learn how to organize nurses and professionals, prof- you know, professionals in the medical field, and, uh, you know, just different legalities and, you know, that, that type of thing. And so then, you know, you take that same type of experience uh, that you learn from other projects and programs as a movement and as a leader in our movement. Yeah, with her having so much experience in the other healthcare programs that we've had before, you know, she was really clear on how to organize the doctors to put things, because we never did a telehealth program before or anything like that. But we organized doctors, we organized professionals to, to volunteer, to give a time, you know, to, um, you know, yeah, we organized committees to make it happen. And so, you know, I, I think in that way is really how we were able to revamp Project Black Onk. Yeah, with whole new programs that we've never seen before, never done before. And now we can, you know, have the ability to make it a, a really a permanent program of um, of AppDepth and a project of AppDepth and, uh, you know, start moving a little bit past COVID and, you know, being able to take uh, appointments on other medical needs or healthcare needs.
2: You are listening to the People's War Radio Show. Produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Our guests
1: today are Kundai Bajiki Kai and Michelle Odom. As colonized people, it's natural for us not to trust anything coming from the colonial media. I remember when Fauci was telling people that they did not need to wear masks, you know, and it was all a cover up for the fact that the state didn't have the capacity to supply masks and other equipment to the people. Um, but contrarily, Project Black Onk immediately led a public information campaign that informed the African community internationally. And it really has had a broad impact and uh, protected the people. Um, what are some of the cities where Project Black Onk outreach has happened and how has it helped the community?
4: Ooh, some of the cities. Okay, where to start? So Huntsville, Alabama, St. Petersburg, Florida, um, San Diego, Oakland. Uh, Philadelphia, DC, Atlanta, New York, Newark. It's <laughs> it's so many. I'm I'm like, oh, um, St. Louis, Chicago, so many, so many places. And, um even in um uh in Johannesburg, Fauciville, um, South Africa, um, uh, we've done um outreach around Project Black Unc. And, you know, we're continuing to even still now continuing to do outreach. So if there are listeners who would like to do outreach, you know, uh, we're still, you know, continuing to do outreach, which, you know, is, um, <clears throat> excuse me, it's looking a little bit different from when we initially kicked off Project Black Unc. But um, having those flyers up, I think, really helped for people to see. And even in the black community, for people to, you know, to kind of be aware, to go to our website. We had a um, we saw it. Um, Many, many more viewers on our website, even when we had the article up of how to make your own mask at home, the time that people were spending on our website. So I think it helped the community a lot in terms of like need, knowing that we need to have on masks, even if you don't have an actual mask, something to cover up your nose and mouth at these. And then, um, yeah, so I think in that way it helped the community. And then on top of that, it helped the community to see us as the organizers that we are. We're not frantic about COVID-19. We're not just listening to what the bourgeois media has to say about it or how they say we should protect ourselves because we already established that they have no interest in, in serving the um, the black community. And so, yeah, so it shows us, as, um, conveyed us as organizers that we are uh, by being on the grounds, being on the grounds with masks, following the proper protocols. And I also think <clears throat> it helped our members, the members of our movement also to um to yeah to follow the protocols because you can't tell somebody else oh you got to be wearing a mask and doing this isn't that if you yourself aren't it's like why are you gonna be handing me a fly by wearing a mask and you know you know and so I think it even helped us to um to see this thing scientifically as as well I think it helped us bring science to the black community.
2: Michelle cause I know you want to add to that because remember when it first happened and uh maybe you make a store run or something I'll be like I'll be like Dr. Fields said this and Dr. Fields said that and no, on the flyer it says this, Michelle. You you gotta follow what it says on the flyer, you know. And 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 we didn't have masks. We didn't have toilet paper. We was, we was using napkins and
3: bandanas.
2: And, and, and all I'm, all sorts of stuff, you know. Exactly oh, yeah, for band- the toilet. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Even bandanas. You, I'm like, nah, no nah, You can't wear the blue bandana, Michelle. You can't wear the blue bandana in this neighborhood, you know. <laughs>
3: Hey so I'm, did you, did you you want to say it's so? going to get you one way or the other so
2: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> remember you walked around with that big old blue bandana on your face mm-hmm. oh, your, but but you know so yeah yeah, yeah. did you want yeah. to say something real quick about that yeah I
3: just well I wanted to add to the cities uh you could put Calgary on the map too yeah I just wanted to appreciate project black on cuz it did it really felt um, important and for the first time just really Clearly aware that there was a, like an entity surrounding health that was concerned about my health, and not just concerned, but had a whole program around it and a whole campaign, and and you know the health of me and my family and my community, um, and all African people. So I think that alone um, for us to continue to establish these you know anti-colonial systems of health and you know wellness are is so important. So I just want to unite with um, Chairman's vision of ABDEP to Project Black onk and uh, Dr. and Director Aisha Fields um, for the work that they've put in, and Kundayee for just the promotional piece. I mean, there's so much, so many players and folks that play a role in Project Black Onc, but um, just the existence of it itself and just being able to say the name, I think, um, does something to you, to me at least.
2: Yeah, who who I, I love it. I, I love Project Black. Kong. I'm gonna just be completely honest. And Kundai, you were talking about the programs. One of the programs that you all began was the Ask the Doctor series. What is the Ask the Doctor series?
4: Yes, the Ask the Doctor series, which Comrade Michelle produces, is a monthly live stream that we do. Um, that's a it's a fundraiser for our telehealth program, which I know we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, but it's also a free resource to the community for people, our viewers, our followers and other and you know, people in the community who may not necessarily know who we are initially. But to um, be able to have a, a virtual sit down with black doctors who care about the community and are willing to answer any questions that you have around a specific topic. So we've done. Um, oh, my goodness, Michelle, we've done so many. Right. We've done um, men, black men. In COVID nineteen, mm-hmm. black men were, you know, being uh, most heavily hit, impacted by the the, the virus. What else? Uh, yeah, things?
3: homelessness. um yep. Pregnancy. Mhm. Yep.
4: The Projecting.
3: vaccine. Mhm. Yeah, the vaccine.
4: Then, uh, ask the doctors around the vaccine. Uh, protesting during COVID, and I will, you know, encourage people to check out some of the Ask the Doctor series on our Facebook page at you just at um the All African People's Development and Empowerment Project.
2: Now, another program that you all are running is the Project Black on Telehealth program. How's that been going?
4: It's going good um I think we uh yeah generally, the response that we get from the community when we give people the telehealth program flyers it's like the community is like extremely impressed by it and Sometimes even it's like a relief, like, oh, okay, I know know who I can, you know, talk to now or, okay, good, I can call because we were wondering X, Y, Z. So, yeah, I think the program is going well. We, um, of course, we need, um, or there's always a need to promote more. So we, you know, have to be able to get the program out more so that more Black people can know that this program exists, that this resource for them exists. Because in most cases, doctors here, even when you have covid They'll tell you, oh, just quarantine for 14 days and you can go back to work. I'm like, go back to work? I mean, you don't even know nothing else about me. You tell me you can quarantine for 14 days, you know? Like, what what do I do? What happens if, you know, they're like, oh, taking a leave if you get, you know, whatever to reduce your fever or, you know, just something like that. And, and, and you just kind of left, like, stuck in with Google trying to diagnose yourself with other stuff and. So our doctors will help you, you know, maneuver through COVID. And um, even if you don't have the virus and you're trying not to get, not to, not to catch it, they'll help you create a home plan or maybe work in a high-risk environment. And, you know, our doctors are here to help us, you know, move beyond COVID and, you know, just, uh, yeah, maneuver, being able to maneuver and adjust to this pandemic. And I really want to appreciate, too, I I really want to appreciate the doctors who volunteer with us because, you know they could be doing anything else you know that i mean they or they could say that they're too busy they live in comfortable they don't have to do this type of volunteering or whatever but they're taking a position and in, in, in a stance to stand on the people's side you know to to be here for our people not just to collect a check or you know just write off prescriptions that's going to just you know uh solve this symptom but cause another symptom and you know like they really have a real interest in and health, and particularly Black people health. So um, so I really want to salute and appreciate our doctors, and especially our lead medical provider, um, Dr. Loretta King.
3: Yeah, we love Dr. King.
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> the Ask the Doctor series really has grown. And for Black History Month, you guys conducted, or y'all ladies conducted uh, Ask the Doctor program entitled The Role of the African Intellectuals in the World. Um, can you tell us about that episode, Michelle? And why was it important to put that show out? Yeah,
3: we were all very excited about um, about this one, just from the timing of it and um, who we were able to have um, as our guests. Um, so for the February Ask the Doctor series, we um, had Mat- uh, comrade Dr. Matsumela Odom, um, as well as Secretary General Louese, uh Kinshasa, who were able to... Um, Really, you know, help us uh, frame the question, and really, just I have to say that this whole um, se- this this particular episode was focused on a on an article that uh, S. G. Lewisy wrote um, in the Burning Spear, um, titled "The Role of African Intellectuals in the World," and um, it, it's one of the first PEs that I read, you know, political education that I read when I came into ABDEP and, and it's one that I go back to often, you know, I wish I would've had a read in school because it talks about, you know, the duty of African intellectuals, um, you know, to solve the problems that are, you know, being imposed on us through parasitic capitalism. And, you know, how very often as intellectuals, and, you know, I, I'm in education, you know, I, I teach, I'm also a colleague, and sometimes I th- see there's this struggle with, you know, ourselves to even see, you know, as intellectuals to see ourselves as part of a working class, but it's a petty, you know, bourgeoisie class of intellectuals who are producing ideas and programs and theories, you know, industries that, um, you know, keep us working and producing for the system, which is ultimately con- contributing to the oppression of our people. And I mean, that's a big deal. And I think this, this uh, particular episode was really important to um, to call out and call in, you know, but really call out the role that we, um, that we play as intellectuals and, you know, how African resources, um, not only just the natural resources, you know, which are stolen by the U.S. and Europe, but, you know, our actual human resources and our intellectual resources have also been taken to build these schools, these hospitals, you know, uh, medicine and, um, You know, one thing I appreciate Dr. Field saying in the opening was, you know, that our kidnapped and enslaved ancestors were agriculturalists. They were teachers, artists, healers, architects. And so um, we have a duty as African intellectuals to turn over our skills for the revolution and not just to continue to contribute to this um, sick, parasitic system that the same way that, you know, charity requires poverty. These, you know, this system requires intellectuals to continue to produce for imperialism. And so, um, yeah, I I just, um, we actually have to, um, we're going to play that episode again, because it's just really an important conversation that needs to happen right now. Um,
1: Yeah, I really appreciated that answer. um, Yeah, not enough African intellectuals, you know, are brought into the process of you know, really building mm-hmm. an anti-colonial system. So I, I really appreciate that response, and um, look forward to seeing that that uh, showing that show again.
3: Uh-huh. And I really want to salute S.G. Um if I could just add, because um, he really is the teacher. You know, um, I think he's called um, Imwalimu, the teacher of the African nation. You know, learning words like colonialism and. You know, for me, even just understanding the difference between colonialism and colonial slavery, like just how it, it, he gets it down to such a point that it's almost too simple and, and, and we can't ignore it. So I really just want to salute um, the great leaders and teachers in the movement that have really helped to make this question, um, you know, very important and very real. But, you know, I feel like I'm back in university again as a, you know, so-called intellectual. This is really what it means to be an African intellectual.
2: Thanks for that, Michelle, because I know also that, you know, that ABDEP specializes in bringing people, African intellectuals, people with these skills and stuff like that into the work. And Dr. King actually was at first an Ask the Doctor guest, and then from the Ask the Doctor guest... Dr. King came into the work and now Dr. King is the head of the telehealth program, correct? Yeah, she's our lead provider. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, yeah. Right. So so I want to ask you just uh, you know, briefly or whatever, but uh, one of the acid doctor shows you all conducted chronicled the impact of the pandemic on African mental health. Tell us something about that.
3: Yeah, so um one of the first Ask the Doctor series, I think that might have been the first one that I um, produced, was around mental health. And um, the two guests that we had on our show um, that time was um, Dr. Monica Hinton, who's the um, local president of the San Diego chapter of the Association of Black Psychologists, and a, and a colleague of mine, as well as uh, Kobina Bantushango, who is an organizer in the African People's Socialist Party. Um, as a Southern Regional uh, representative, and he, Kobina is also a mental health counselor um, in social work, and um, I think that e- the episode was very important one, just because when I ent- when I came into Abdep, I understood that they, you know, one of the goals was to start a mental health program, and so I think just to have that conversation, um, similar to how Abdep was leading the conversation for African people around our health. It was important that they took on the question of mental health, and so that episode was important for many reasons to touch on just all the ways in which we are being impacted by mental health. the um, The importance of just talking about it, just 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 saying it. Um, I appreciate Dr. Hinton for what she offered um, regarding just tips, you know. And at the time, she you know talked about it on the episode. She had contracted COVID, um, um, her and another family member, and she was able to. Really give very detailed explanations around just basic tips to how to keep folks safe and just how to take it serious. Because again, a lot of folks weren't taking it serious. And she, um, you know, was like, I had it, you know, so that was really important. Um, So she gave a wealth of information in that regard. And um, I appreciate Kobina for just, you know, bringing the African internationalist piece to mental health. And, you know, reference France uh, France Fanon, Wretched of the Earth and ways in which, um, you know, we have to take up the question of mental health as African internationalists. It is not um, it is no longer up to our our oppressor to define what you know, what what um, what is considered mental, you know, mental illness. And so I think um, just alone that. Episode didn't, you know, go too deep into the African internationalism piece of mental health, but it um, it definitely planted the seed, and you know, was was a starting point for the the goal to e- eventually um, build the mental health program. Which I don't know if we'll talk about that in this um, interview, but I am um, the mental health uh, coordinator, or you know, pro- uh, coordinator of the programs that we're going to be building in in ABDEP. So I'm really excited about that work. And and again, as an African intellectual in the field of mental health, this makes sense to me. <laughs> like this is the kind of mental health work that I want to be a part of. Really excited and uh, want to salute ABDEP for taking on um, this question and chairman for, you know, literally answering every, um, addressing every area of our lives as African people and having a solution to it through
1: the theory. So yeah,
3: just want to unite with that. Uhuru.
1: You are listening to The People's War Radio Show, produced by WBPU Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Our guests today are Kundai, Bajiki Kai, and Michelle Odom. This is Women's History Month, and we recently celebrated International Women's Day. APDEP is a remarkable institution under the leadership of many dynamic women, including the group's director, Dr. Aisha Fields, who's a physicist. How does the leadership of African women in APDEP reflect the role that African women have played in traditional African society and the resistance of African people to colonialism and slavery?
4: African women have always led, you know, and African women are going to have to keep leading. With the theory of African internationalism, you know, African women can be brought back into political life and recognize themselves as leaders. And um, yeah, and and I do, I, I want to also to salute um, Dr. Aisha Fields as the, the leader of this organization. And yeah, our whole IEC, which is women, our other leading members of ABDEP are women. African women have, have like I said, have, have always led. And I think it's it's important uh, for people to see women leadership, not just in ABDEP, but in our entire movement and to see them, to see themselves in the leadership of our movement, you know? You see a uh, Dr. Fields. You see a uh, ch- you know with with children and Chiluniso Luzolo, our international executive secretary. Um, you see Michelle Odom. You know, um, Dr. Loretta. Can you see all these women and especially like with children and even the other leaders of our of our movement? Uh, Yesterday, Oumila, Col- uh, Columbai, and Annette. You know, you see these women. Uh, Deputy Chair on and Anaya You know, so you you see all these women in in the leadership roles, and you can see yourself like you can like that can be me. You know. Um, and yeah, you can. Yeah. And I I think that's important because even when we look in the past in different revolutions, like you see, you know, even we see like these iconic images of African women with the baby strapped to the back and the rifle in the front, you know, and we just have to continue to assume the responsibility of, of leading ourselves, you know, out of this, uh, you know, colonialism, um, regardless of what our responsibilities are as, as mothers, because, you know, as African women, you know that even lead in in the class in the community um the working class community yeah i just really want to salute i don't know if that answered the question but it just making me really just think to like just just really appreciating the the women that are um that are in this movement and um yeah and in the roles that they play because african women experience double oppression and still have the capacity to lead still have the capacity to um yeah to assume responsibility for moving our people out of this situation regardless of all of the outside interferences and, and struggles that come. And I think it's important that we that we recognize that um and that we raise up our women, you know, and, and yeah, raise raise up women as, as comrades and not queens and not beneath the men, but as comrades, as equal counterparts to, to men in the, you know, in in the, in the revolution.
2: Yeah, uh thanks for that, because one of the things that really stands out to me is that, uh, first and foremost, the All African People's Development and Empowerment Project strategy of bringing people in, it's no coincidence that it does bring in so many African women, because about two-thirds or more of the African people that go to college and to graduate college are actually African women. And we know that this system itself has always tried to profit off the exploitation of African women's labor, especially African women's uh productive labor in terms of healing, in terms of nurturing and child rearing and all that sort of stuff. So through so colonial slavery, you know, made African women nurses for colonizers, made African women raised the children of colonizers and stuff like that. Uh, And and even when African women became uh, teachers or nurses in the African community, they they wanted it, you know, pushed through um, uh, their own colonial system. I mean, we know that out of Alabama where you're at, you know, you get the whole Miss Evers boys and it was uh, eventually African women who um, cared for some of those people in the Tuskegee experiment? So I, I see ABDEP as a, we see traditionally a couple of things: African women, um, uh, uh, even if they did play a sort of role of you know um, healing, uh, many of the roles. I know in in South Africa they call them sangomas, right? And and it, it, many of the people who do some of these. Healing roles tended to oftentimes be African women, but so we see so many African women become nurses and doctors and stuff like that. But Abdep lets Africa says, okay, let's place that into the service of the African community because I know so many African women become nurses, they become teachers, they become social workers because they're saying, okay, how can I have a job that's going to give back to the community? But then they get stuck into these jobs, and then they realize they're not servicing the African community and stuff like that. So, so I just really want to salute uh, you all's uh, strategy um, in in really doing that. And the other thing is about resistance in Haiti. Uh, I, I don't have the numbers exactly correct, but African women made up something around forty five percent of the enslaved population in of Haiti, San Domingue, and African women made up. Uh, about the exact same percent, forty to forty-five percent of the revolutionaries on the battlefield. So, in the African tradition, African women have always played, like you said, that role as as comrades. And uh, you know, I got right oh,
4: now. Yeah. I like the number.
2: Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and I got my biggest comrade with me right now. So, Michelle, mm-hmm. comrade, how you doing? Right.
3: I'm good. I'm good. I just. I'm glad you ended on that. And I know we don't have much time, but I just want to say too about um, there's like a sisterhood that, you know, we talk about, but there's a, there's a difference between like having a sister and having a friend versus having a comrade. And I just want to really acknowledge that in terms of just, um, one, and I really appreciate that question about African women, but just like, um, I love my comrades, you know, like there's just a different kind of love because it's very clear what we're all fighting for. And, I think um, as a woman in the struggle, it's very important. And, you know, we put all stuff aside. Like, it's really just about the work. And just want to salute that, just the difference um, and about what a comrade really means.
2: Yeah. So on that note, comrade, as a mother, what is the importance of your activism to the relationship to your daughters, to our girls? And, you know, they something else, ain't they? <laughs>
3: um, Okay um yeah i I really appreciate that question because you know they are a part of this movement too, and this is why we're doing this work and and I think it's very clear um I have to say that you know the girls see me often because. I'm in front of the computer for meetings for my nine to five jobs, but then also for the movement. And And I think it's very clear to them. Well, I, I know it's clear to them that the work that we're doing is not just for this job that's abstract and supposed to help some people. This is literally for them. We are building a future for them and even seeing how they like to get involved. And like they know when it's a Uhuru meeting or, you know, something with the movement and they come in and they wave and, you know, they see their comrades because, you know, they're young comrades, too. But I, I think, you know, one thing in terms of self-determination is, you know, especially when the coronavirus hit and and in Petum, San Diego, we started the um, Uhuru Shule School, you know, having control over their education and being able to do something about it was just really powerful for me. And um, I know for both of us as parents, because um, Comrade Matsumali, you were a big part of us just kind of getting it off the ground and saying, you know, let's just do it. And we, it was like a Thursday. And then by the Saturday, we had started. The You know, we invited folks and did the story time and the girls really enjoy um, that kind of stuff. So I just want to unite with um, the movement. And even one thing I'll say quickly is um, one of our, our oldest daughter, Mayasa, is it, always thinking of ideas. You know, she wants to be a clothing designer. So she sees herself in Uzi and, you know, Carmad um, Fofit has been, you know, and Columbayee have been inviting her to like, you know, sending clothes and, th- and things like that. But as a business, as a young businesswoman, she said, I want to start my own business and the money's going to go to fund ABDEP. And I was like, what? Like that right there was just like, okay. Right. (laughs) She gets it. She gets it. And then there's Malika, who is a force all on her own. And uh, she shares the same birthday as chairman, Omali Yeshotela, and deputy chair, Ona Zane Yeshotela. So that uh, says a lot right there. Uh (laughs) Uhuru. And so, um, yeah, I have to really thank the movement for that, so, yeah, they get it uh-huh.
4: that's beautiful.
3: that's how you um, raise
4: African internationalists, you know right? and, not, and not you know, like African petty bourgeoisie middle class, like you know what that's a, it's a thin line between teaching you know youth how to be like black entrepreneurs, just yes. for them to figure out how to you know finesse through the system and and yes. and you know the difference between that and and teaching our youth how to be entrepreneurs and, and business owners, so we can mm-hmm. you, you know negate the the current economic system that's in place. You know,
1: um, I was going to ask you, Kundai, has the work changed your your own understanding of who you are in the world? Being able to carry out these leadership roles.
4: Oh Lord of Mercy, that's a that's a big question. That's a really big question. Um and right, right. uh Comrade Michelle kinda said something about this a little bit earlier, um, in terms of like how you see the world. And one thing um comrade Gaida used to always say is like it's kinda like a blessing and you know, once you um join the party, like, you know, really really join and become an African internationalist, um, as a true revolutionary, once you understand African internationalism, it's like a blessing and a curse because you could never unsee the world for what it is. And I think it's impossible to truly become an African internationalist and to not, yeah, to not feel changed even as even, um, quote unquote outside of the work, which is not a whole lot that happens outside of the work, you know. But um, yeah, in terms of your your place or who you are in the world, um, when I met the when I met the party well when, I, when I, I met the movement party at the same time, and um, uh, on the first day I heard the chairman speak and I was like. This man is like he was on fire. Like I wanted to have him repeat the whole thing because I felt like every it didn't hit everybody the same way in the room. I'm like y'all, y'all wasn't listening to him. Like and um and I kid you not, my life was like forever changed Um, from that first day that I heard the chairman. Things became so much clearer and it was and it was it was simplified. Like everything that you know I was experiencing and that you know I saw other people experiencing, it was simple. It was like we slaves, we colonial subjects. That's it. It's not something like written in the walls that you got to be able to meditate and, you know, make yourself levitate off the ground for 45 minutes or something to be able to, and open up a third eye and all this other stuff is you a colonial subject because there's another group that, that dominates the world, that, that has control over everything. And so I think in understanding that, you know, in wanting to change that to not accepting that as okay, or as a norm, you can't not be changed or not see yourself differently. Because at that, at that point, like at that particular juncture, you have to, if you really care, and if you really don't want to be a colonial subject, then you have to understand and the only other option is to not see yourself as trying to make it or maybe go and live off the earth or whatever. Yeah, but to join a revolution, and you have to become a revolutionary. And then you have to ask yourself, what does that mean? Maybe I have plans for X, Y, Z, but what does that mean to really be a revolutionary? And those are questions that, you know, even right now, like I'm at the party in 2017, but even in 2021, like I have like serious struggles. Like what is that, you know, certain things like what does it mean to be cadre, to be in, in, in the work? And, um, and, and sometimes it's hard, uh, But then you, like, but then what's the alternative, you know, to just submit to the system? And so, ultimately, you know, becoming a a party member has been the greatest thing in terms of the revolution because we need revolutionaries. But it has been the greatest decision that I've made like ever in my life, and I can say that without like a shadow of doubt. And it's changed who I am. It's changed how I move, even like with my family, how I move. Yeah, just how I move in general in the
2: world. Oh, uh-huh. So, as we wrap this up, and I just want to say this has been very, very great. I really appreciate both of you all coming on to the show. I appreciate having Michelle as a comrade because I know, as Michelle being a comrade, it's a lot easier to get Michelle on this show uh, <laughs> as a comrade and, act, and as an action and as an action. Yeah, we be throwing. Better uh, uh, do, do this, comrade. Yeah, Doctor doc, Fields. I said, Doctor Fields said you can be on the show, so I'm to take leadership. <laughs> Uh, so we are anti colonial in this household. I just mm-hmm. wanna say that it wasn't combat liberalism <laughs> yeah, right? Combat <laughs> liberalism, fair responsibility. When you, get mad, hey. you can't call him bang no more, you gotta be that comrade. Right. <laughs> it, 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 I'm telling
4: you be, be, so because, right? because
2: because there's none of this like well I'm your husband and I think you should be on the show. It's like yeah, that's not going this, this, no. is like, this is African international so, household. So, so y'all have talked about so much stuff. If people want to contact you, how can they contact you? Also, what are some of the things that you all are doing that they can get involved in? That's
4: the best question. Put how 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 do we put people to work? <laughs> how can people get involved? Well, Michelle, you want to start by you know yeah. give me your email and um about the, and what what they can join. That's happening under your leadership.
2: Yeah,
3: definitely. This well, I guess just go to uh, www.developmentforafrica.org dot um, org and the work um, in the mental health department or you know area. We have a committee that we're building. If anybody who has an interest in mental health or is a mental health um, professional in some capacity in wellness, anything like that, who wants to join. Um, and so there's that definitely. And um, yeah, we're always looking for volunteers and I'll I put that over to our volunteer coordinator, Kundai who can give more, but also anybody who wants to return their skills in any of the areas, um, in particular with the Ask the Doctor series, if you know a doctor or you um, are a doctor or somebody in the medical field who has experience and information to share with the African people, email us at info um, at developmentforafrica.org.
4: And yeah, if you're interested in volunteering, in any capacity, you know, maybe you have skills in graphic design or organizational mm-hmm. skills like administrative skills, secretarial skills, things like that. Um, you know, we have a place for you in AppDev. We even have an economic project, um, Zindele Consignment. It's an African boutique. So, you know, um, if you make your own clothes, if you can sew a seamstress or you go in marketing, anything, I promise you, any type of skills that you think you have or Maybe you don't even know what what skills you have. We, we're going to find and We can pull them out on APDEP. You can email us if you are interested in volunteering at APDEP, A-A-P-D-E-P, at UhuruVolunteer.org. And we'll get you hooked up. We also have um, our Marcus Garvey Youth Program. So if we have any educators or people that are interested in um, the education of our youth, you can um, uh, be in our Marcus Garvey Youth Program subcommittee. Uh, We have gardens, uh, garden collectives. If you are an agriculturalist or just like to put your hands in the ground, you can join our agricultural committee. And like I said, different things, info and ed in terms of writing, um, marketing skills, anything else. You can, again, uh, email us at abdep at uhuruvolunteer.org. Like Michelle said, you can also go to the website developmentforafrica.org slash volunteer.
2: Uhuru, you are listening to the People's War Radio Show. Produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Our guests today were Koundai Bajikikai and
1: Michelle Odom. WBPU is a project of the African People's Education and Defense Fund, a nonprofit organization whose mission is to defend the human and civil rights of the African community and address the grave disparities faced by African people in education, healthcare, and economic development. For more information on the African People's Education and Defense Fund, visit apedf.org.
2: Episodes of the People's World Radio Show are available on the Black
1: Power Talks podcast on wubp.podbean.com. For updates and resources to fight the coronavirus or to volunteer with Project Black Onk, visit developmentforafrica.org.
2: We'd like to thank our guests, Kundai Bachiki Kai and Michelle Odom for joining us today. We'd also like to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in.
0: Colonial virus is why I can't live. Can't live. Colonial virus is why I can't, I can't breathe. Colonial virus, yo, that thing gotta go. You gotta we run. don't wanna have to deal with this virus no Down with the colonial virus. Down colonial virus is why i'm poor the colonial virus keeps me at war the colonial virus yo that thing gotta go we don't wanna have to deal with this virus no more so we say down with the colonial virus down Team, that's colonial virus. Ebola disease, that's colonial virus. HIV, that's colonial
1: virus.
0: Jovenel Moyes, that's colonial virus. Domestic violence, that's colonial virus. Sexual violence, that's colonial virus. Horizontal violence. That's colonial virus state violence that's colonial virus gentrification that's colonial colonial virus virus. mass incarceration that's colonial colonial virus virus. deportation that's colonial virus the need for constant inebriation y'all that's colonial virus. virus Attacks on black women, that's colonial bias. Attacks on black men, that's colonial bias. Attacks on black children, that's colonial bias. We can't take no more of.